Hi, everyone, and welcome to the FCI podcast. It's a new series we're doing, and um, I'm here to actually give you guys an insight into the FCI to understand what the FCI is, how it works, by speaking to some uh, crucial people within the FCI, some people that will hopefully shed some light and clarity on, on the issues that I'm trying to bring up. And today, it's my honor to have the FCI Executive Director, Mr. Yves de Klerk, with us and um, to, to, to answer a host of questions that I have, that burning questions I'm sure that many of you have and never had the opportunity to ask. So I have that privilege today. Hi, Yves. Welcome to our interview. How are you? Hi, Gopi. I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine. I would be happy to kill this fire. <laughs> and, and give the most appropriate answers as possible. Excellent, excellent. Thank you so much, Yves. So let's let's jump straight into it, Yves. Maybe, as I mentioned, the, the aim of this series is to give people a better understanding of the workings of the FCI, how things work within the FCI, uh, the different areas. And today, obviously, we're concentrating on the FCI office um, and, and, and that. But before we go there, maybe could you tell us a little bit about the role of the FCI? What is the FCI and what is its role? Um, as far as in your definition? Yeah, of course, of course. I, I think that uh, our role is, is clearly defined in, in our statute, and I do believe that we have to stick to that. Uh, our role has been, is, and will always be to encourage and to promote uh, the breeding, the registration, and the use of pedigree dogs. Excellent. Um, to, in order to do so, we have different means and, and tools and different ways of action, uh, like the, the organization of shows, of sport and working events, uh, we foster the exchange of information from all kinds between our members. Yeah. It can be scientific, sportive, administrative, zootechnical, zoobiological, etc. And uh, all these means put together contribute to, to selecting the best possible sires and dams that will be able to, to secure a healthy future of the different breeds that we recognize. Perfect. That is that is mostly for for the FCI and the, as a very theoretical role. What we can put on paper, what you can read on paper. Now, the, the regarding our office and our staff, uh, our, our staff is dedicated to all the administrative tasks that derive from the work done by our different stakeholders. Uh, as you know, we have in the FCI different stakeholders, and I well, if I I could sum them up, I would say that we have. First of all, our members and contract partners, which are the, the national canine organizations or NCOs, as we call them. Yeah. And then we have uh, some working commissions, which are mostly all the commissions dedicated to the to shows, to show judges, to retrievers, to breeding, to standards, to scientific, to legal issues. Well, we have approximately 25 different commissions which work on a regular basis and which report on their activity to the general committee, which makes the decisions. We also have some, some specific committees working uh, and which we consider as our, our important stakeholders. Uh, of course, let's say indirect stakeholders are the breeders, okay. because we have, no, we have no direct contact with the breeders, but through their membership with uh, our NCO, they are indirectly linked to, to the FCI and, and we consider them as stakeholders, definitely. Okay, so um, let, me, let me just pause you there for one minute, Eve. So what you're saying is that basically the FCI comprises of these 99 members 
Um, and these members represent national kennel clubs, and they are the members of the FCI. Um, and, and it's them that have membership with the FCI. So you deal with the NCOs, which are the national canine organizations, which are the national clubs, and um, they then deal with their members on the specific issues. Is that, is that a correct understanding of how that works? Absolutely, absolutely. Okay. This will this will deserve further development later on if, if you want. Yes. But, uh, that, that is really a basic principle that, that we deal with matters involving our members directly. And if there are issues with breeders, with exhibitors, or with any other stakeholders, usually we would refer uh, these stakeholders to our members because they, that would... That, that is actually an internal or domestic issue, and we basically have no real jurisdiction on that. Excellent. Okay, we, we will go into that a little bit later, but I just wanted to stress that because that is one of the things that people always misunderstand uh, with the membership of the FCI. The FCI um, office specifically deals yeah. with 99 uh, countries, and they are yeah. the members of the FCI. That okay. is something important, yes, sir. Yeah. And and regarding our our the role of the FCI staff, as, as okay. you asked at the beginning, sure. well, mo mostly I would say that uh, you know we have a department running all the accountancy, which means the accountancy for the staff and the accountancy with our our members. Uh, on a personal level, I also have to manage my team here, of course, and then my team is mostly dedicated to processing show results. Okay. Confirming all the titles of champion, uh, right. con confirmation or working champion. We, of course, register kennel names. We have a huge international uh, kennel name directory, which is updated daily. Uh, we have to add, we accept the requests or the applications from our members to have new kennel names, and we, we must accept them and then feed them into our computer and in our directory. Uh, a major part of our work is also to translate all kinds of documents. We have four official languages, so of course we have to translate all kinds of documents, breed standards, regulations, instructions, circulars, etc. Uh, we have to make all that available to our members. Right. And of, and of course we have to provide all the information which results from this translation uh to our members this can yeah. also be instructions for meetings the agendas the circulars etc uh it, it is important that the, the flow information of information goes smoothly so that our our members our commissions our committees are perfectly informed about what a meeting is about when the meeting will be held and uh, what topics will be discussed Perfect. As you can see, it's a very wide concept, and uh, yeah, yeah, there are, there are many more tasks generated by our roles and responsibilities, but it, it would take years. Okay. Why have we touched on, touched on that? Let's let's talk about your specific role. I mean, you are the executive director of the FCI. Could you tell us a bit about that and what that role entails? Um, you know, yeah, on, on, on the, yeah, on the, on a more personal point of view, I would say that uh, I have a three-facet role. Okay. Uh, one of them, the first one which comes across my mind is, is to manage the FCI staff and the FCI bank account. That is really a, a daily business. It's, it's my staff, it's my team. Right. I, I consider them as nearly as my second family because it's a very reliable and a very long-standing staff. So we, we have managed to, to you know, establish very close relations, still remaining their boss, but but very long, faithful members and loyal members. 
the bank account, of course, is a uh, is something which is absolutely essential. And uh, I, I've always been very thankful to the German Committee for the Trust placed in me in managing these bank accounts because it, it could become a, a touchy issue anytime, anytime, because as you know, when there is money at stake, there is always mistrust and there are always questions. So it is really important for me to, to manage a bank account and the accountancy in the most transparent possible way. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, another important part of my role, a second uh, part of it, as, as I said earlier, to manage all the information, the communication, the paperwork right. uh, that we have to send to the FCI members and the, con the contract partners. So I, I've already developed that a little bit earlier. And uh, the last part, which is very important for me, is to, to kind of administer the executive and the general committees and the general assembly. Okay. It means that to prepare the agenda, to be absolutely aware and fully informed about all the topics on the agendas of those three important uh, committee. These are really the, the leading bodies of the FCI. And it is important that uh, we here at the office and, and me in particular are fully informed about what we are talking about. Could I just stop you there for a minute, Eve? Maybe to, for the benefit of our, uh, our listeners, um, you mentioned the executive committee, you mentioned the the, the, the uh, general committee, and then the general assembly. Could you just briefly tell people what these are? I mean, I know what they are, you know what they are, but to explain to people how um, what they are and what how they function within running the FCI, because um, I mean, effectively, you have the role of a CEO of the FCI. I mean, you know, in, in let's talk about marketplace terms. But obviously, your your role is a little bit more different because you've got these um, different bodies to answer to, if I may use that word. So, could you just tell briefly what the executive committee is, uh, the exec and the, the general committee, and all that sort of things? Yes, of course. Yes, of course. Well, as in as in any big organization, the, the supreme body, the, the one that really has the highest authority, is the general assembly. Okay. Uh, our general assembly is made of, of all our members. It can be contract partners or uh, full members or associated members, but of course only full members have the right to vote and there are about 75 countries. Okay. These 75 countries are the only ones that have the right to elect the members of the general committee. They, they, they have the right to elect where the world auctions will take place. They have the right to approve the accounts, to ask any question about the accounts, and uh, they also elect members of our mandatory commissions. Okay. So definitely this General Assembly is the highest body of the FCI. There is no question okay. about that. Now to, to run the daily business of the FCI, uh, we have the General Committee. Okay. And the General Committee are elected by the General Assembly. They, they include nine members. Six members are elected by the General Assembly directly. And the remaining three members are elected by their respective section. Okay. So we have six people elected by General Assembly. Then we have one representative from Europe. We have one representative from America, to speak brief, to say briefly, and one representative from Asia, Africa, and Oceania. So that, that's a total of nine people really running the FCI on a daily basis under, under my, not supervision, under my assistance or under my, my guidance or whatever. I am the one to, to provide all information that they will have to deal with. And uh, so that they can make the, the most appropriate decisions. So they're, they're a board of directors, so to speak. I mean, in that's, it, that's it. We, we call it general committee, but it's it's yes. as usual and as you have in most companies, it's the board of directors. Okay. And then from this board of directors, 
you have a, a smaller version which is called the executive committee, okay. which we call in our in our terminology, which we sometimes refer to as the board okay. of the FCI. And these are three uh, members of the joint committee, which is president, vice president, and treasurer. And of course, this executive committee has the right to take any decision which has which has to be taken in emergency. Okay. Uh, in case of urgent cases, and we cannot have the whole general committee meeting or discussing because we must make the decision by the next day or because it's a, a legal case and the, the lawyers wait for a, a fast answer. Okay. Uh, in that case, the executive committee has really the power to say, okay, we take the decision and we will inform the general committee right afterwards. Okay, excellent. Thank you. And and how often do the General Assembly, we know, meet um, every second year? Um, Correct. Uh, the, how often does the board of directors meet or the general committee meet? And what about the executive? How, what's the sort of involvement on their the, part? The, the board of directors meets uh, before the pandemic. Uh, the board of directors uh, was meeting two to three times a year. Okay. And, and the executive, executive committee approximately, approximately the same number of times, depending on, on the agenda, on the points to, to discuss. But as per our statutes, it is a minimum of two meetings a year. So definitely, well, anyway, when there is a general assembly, there will be three meetings of the board of directors. Absolutely, it is absolutely unavoidable because there is far yeah. too much on the agenda. Uh, with the pandemic, and even though our statutes have not yet been adapted, with, with the pandemic, the general committee, the board, the board of directors met more often, more frequently. Okay. Because we have, we have shorter meetings in order to, to maintain to keep the attention of everyone for a couple of hours. We cannot have you know face-to-face -face meeting. We can run face-to-face -face meetings for two days, but when it comes to, to online meetings, it's really difficult to capture and to keep the attention of everybody for hours okay. and hours. And yeah. then on top of it, we must find appropriate time slots for all of us because we have people like you who live so far from Europe, copy. <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, East Asia, and then and then we also have people from from America, yep. American continent, from Argentina or from Mexico. So yep. to find to find a, a slot, a time slot which is really convenient or more or less convenient to to all of them is not that easy. That's why we had we had more meetings, but they were much shorter. Excellent. And can you tell me, uh, Yves, how long you've been in this role as executive director? How long have you been with the FCI, and how that came about? I'm not sure I want to tell you, but <laughs> if I am forced, it will really make me feel how old I am now. So, but uh, I, I will do that for, for you and for the people, for our audience. Uh, I started working for the FCI in 1994. That wow. is 20, 27 years now. And uh, I just started as, a, as an employee. As, as very fast, I became the assistant to the... the past Secretary General, Mr. Van Hel, and uh, I've started traveling with him and I, I learned under him and uh, I, I just took over in 98 okay. when he quit. And uh, so that's, as you can see, it's been quite quite some time since I, I started now. Quite a journey. So you came ground up, so to speak, you know, like uh, learned from, came bottom up in terms of like learn the ropes from someone who was more experienced there. And then, uh, so you, when you took over the reins, it was easier. <laughs> I'm never easy. I'm sure. <laughs> um, never, never, never. 
<laughs> so, Eves, I mean, just to sum up, you are basically a, a key person in terms of keeping the FCI running because you are managing the day to day. And and although you've mentioned meetings with the executive board and the and the and the, and the general committee, um, but at the same time, I'm sure there's a lot of communication that goes on a daily basis with emails and so on with these members. And and you're the person that's managing all that, keeping all that in check. Is that is that a, a, a um, a sort of accurate summary of, of, of what you do in terms of making sure the FCI office runs on a on a day-to-day basis and we still have and it still exists. Yeah, absolutely. You're you're absolutely correct. That's that's a, a big part of a, well when I arrive here in the morning, the first thing to when I open my email is first to say, wow, <laughs> so many people turning to the FCI. On a private basis, on the national club basis, on the committee basis. I mean, it can go in all senses, in all directions. It's really, really impressive. Uh, we, we have one basic principle uh, it is that normally we do not deal with requests from private individuals. Okay. Unless unless there are very easy ones, you know, can we have the grid standard of the year 1974 for the golden retriever? If we have it on file, of course, we will send that. Okay. Uh, a, a major challenge is to, to, to never put our members in a delicate position. And, and, you know, it's a kind of smelling the questions that we may have. Sometimes some questions are really, so to speak, dubious. And, and you, you know beforehand that the answer you will give will be used against our National Kennel Club. Right. And the problem is that we only have one version of the story. We have the version of the kennel club only, or we have the version of the breeder or the exhibitor only, and uh, that that is where our our role is is difficult because it, it's a real challenge. We really must be careful when we answer, or at least we must try to get a full picture of the of the issue before we give an answer. So either we answer directly to the, the individual person writing to us, copying our member in question can be the French Kennel Club, the Belgian Kennel Club, so that right. they're absolutely informed about what we have answered to one of their members. Or we turn to that member and we say, look, this is a message we get from one of your members, a breeder or whatever, and before answering, or unless you want to answer yourself, but if we are to answer, we would like to have more information about that case because it looks a bit special, or it looks a bit too serious, or it looks silly, or it looks whatever it looks. So it, it's a real challenge to, to never never put anyone in a delicate position, but still to, to remain honest and, and to play our role, which is to give accurate information. And if rules are rules, and, and sometimes our kennel clubs we must have we must be we must be honest enough and humble enough to recognize that sometimes there are failures from our, our national kennel clubs and from the office also. And, uh, and sometimes we must tell the individual people, yes, you are right. And now we cannot should rectify the current situation because you have been you have been treated wrongly. Okay. Okay. Excellent. Can you can you tell me a little bit about the FCA office, where it's located, why it's located there? Um, I mean, I know that's a bit historical, but I'm sure that's of interest because a lot of people don't realize where the FCA office is actually located. Yeah. The, the, you know, when the, the Belgium is one of the founding members of the FCI back in 1911, and in the very original statutes, there was a, 
there was a, a ruling or an article requiring that the offices of the FCI would be the offices or would be the house of the Secretary General. That means that from the very beginning, the Secretary General had to be Belgian and the offices had to be in his house, which okay. so you, have, you, you have seen the shortcut. Yeah. The offices of the FCI were to be in Belgium. Yeah. I'm, I'm very happy because otherwise I might not be here today. <laughs> uh, so it, it's been historically like that. And, uh, and until early 50s, the, the offices were in the house of the Secretary General, but most real activities and daily activities were held in the offices of the Belgian Chemical Club. So okay. one, of the, one of the founders of the FCI. And uh, so they were sharing. They were sharing their tasks, and the, the, the secretary general was working from his home, writing some letters. But a lot of lot of the of the job was done from the offices of the Belgian Chemical at that time. And then in the early fifties, in nineteen fifty three, nineteen fifty three, if I'm not mistaken, the the then secretary general, who was Charles Jean de Bien, and who had a, a function here in, in the city of Troyes, I think he was mayor. Uh, just decided to move the, the office from his home and from the headquarters of the Belgian Club and to move everything and all the activities here in the city of Troyes, where, where he was living. Okay. Uh, well, for obvious reasons, he was living here, so it was easier for him to, to work from here. And, and it would allow him also to have people from, from the city to, to work here in, in, in the office. Uh, so we hired offices from 1953 until 94, approximately 40 years. And then in 1940, 1994, we have acquired offices uh, in the city of Troyes still. And uh, we have also extended the offices twice in 2000 and in 2015. And uh, Troyes is a small city, about 10 to 15,000 people, and we are located uh, 75, 80 kilometers south of Brussels. Okay. Uh, well, it, it is for us important, it is for us absolutely essential that, that we have our own offices. We, we are more than 100 years now. We are 110 years. Yes. 110 years. And uh, we cannot keep, we could not keep renting uh, an office. I, I actually I actually started inside the year my predecessor bought the, the our original headquarters and so okay. I, I stayed in them for one or two years and then I was so happy that I was asked to supervise all the <laughs> the first you know extension and everything but uh, it's been really an interesting job and uh, we, we are very happy now now and uh, we I, I dare say that we have really excellent offices here perfectly suited for for what we have to do uh, we are of course so to speak far from Brussels as I said, about 75 or 80 kilometers. But uh, the, the thing is that you must understand that the, the, the FCI offices are, are purely an administrative office. Right. And so the only visits we get are, are from time to time, presidents or representatives of uh, our national canine organizations. Um, or we had one or two or three meetings of the general committee. Right. But for the rest, we hardly have visits and, and theoretically we are not really open to the public. So it's really not a big inconvenient to have our offices in far from Brussels. 
But on the other hand, it's much easier for all the staff because the access is very easy, because mobility inside the city is much easier too. And uh, and of course, in terms of salaries, and uh, in terms of salaries is different because as in, in most countries, uh, salaries in the capital city are always a bit higher. Yeah. And so that, that's been something that was also taken into consideration, I guess, when the, when the office was moved from Brussels to, to Toronto. What's the what's the total staff force? How many members of staff do you have there? And principally, what are their? I mean, I know there's to go into each person's role is difficult, but in general, what's the 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 role of the staff in supporting you and and uh, you know those working at the FCA office? It can it uh, it can really vary. We we have a, a real basis of 11, 12, 13 people working daily for the FCA. Okay. Uh, but but I, I can have one or two extra person waking were working depending on the, the mostly on the amounts of or the volume of uh, of show results that we have to process. We are still in the process of trying to digitalize and uh, modernize the, the show process results. Right. It's a fight. It's a fight between you know keeping everybody on board here because there is job for everyone. Or digitalizing and running the risk to tell to have to tell two or three persons from the staff, thank you very much, but now everything is done by the computer. So I, I really try to find a balance between between these two aspects, being aware that we have to modernize, but well, personally being a little bit reluctant to tell people, thank you for having served us for 10 years, and now your mission is over because we have given your task to a computer. But uh, the, the, well, the, the basis is is about 13, 13 people to to deal with all the work we have here. Okay, and they are managing all these certificates, issuing of all these. Um, yeah, they, they, they are distributed by by departments. You know, we have we have one person taking care of all the title of international champion, and she prints approximately. In normal years, that means uh, without pandemic, between eight and nine thousand titles of international champion a year. Wow. That, that is a, a huge department. Then we have our our show departments where where we get also in normal years we, we get the results of approximately one thousand two hundred and fifty shows yearly, and approximately two thousand uh, working or sporting events. So all the show, all the results of these events are sent to the FCI office and are processed at the FCI office. We have a kennel name register uh, department with approximately 20, 23,000 kennel names to accept uh, yearly. And then the rest is, you know, like, like anywhere we have, a, where we have the, the read standards and all translations department, we have an IT. Uh, department. We have a rather administration and accountancy department. Okay. So we are divided in, in, in several departments and the, all the staff is kind of interchangeable. I mean, they, they, there is a backup for everyone, of course, and uh, and if one is not there, another one can replace him or her. Okay. Um, could you, just moving on, could you tell us a little bit, I mean, I, I know we touched on it at the beginning, but could you tell us a little bit about the relationship between the FCI and the NCO and how the functions differ, although we're partners or they are members of the FCI, but how the, the roles differ? Yeah, well, mostly the, 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 as you have understood, uh, our, our main tasks are translation, administering papers and, and documents, 
and uh, and, process, and processing show results and homologating titles of international champion. That is our our main business and our our well our main tasks daily. While I I do believe that uh, our NCO's core business is to issue pedigrees. That that's really for me the big difference. Um, our main source of incomes would be to would come from the shows, and the main source of incomes for our kennel clubs would come from the, the from the pedigrees. So the, the the core business, so to speak, because I I don't like to talk as a, as businesses, but still the, the core business is is the, the shows for us and show processing, right? And uh, and and for the for the, the NCOs is rather based on issuing pedigrees and export pedigrees. And of course, there are common interests like they, as us, they have a show and, and sports events uh, department. They probably have kennel name departments, yeah. but basically, they, they, their work is is rather different from ours. Okay, so they they would they would be dealing directly with the membership and and more in terms of registration um, and producing of pedigree certificates, um, whereas the FCI is is issuing titles but international titles rather than than domestic titles uh one at you know for national champions and things like that um would you what is the most common misconception about the fci i mean now that we're talking about the separation of roles and understanding that what's one of the most common misconceptions about the fci i see two or three Real misconceptions, which which are really sometimes annoying, or, or which are which make us waste a little bit of our of our time. And right. uh, one of them, as as I said earlier, is that people do not always realize that the FCI does not issue pedigrees. Okay. Uh, this concerns mostly non-FCI breeders, so to speak. And uh, I would there I would then there refer to to English or. or American uh, breeders who are who are very often turning to the FCI asking for a copy of their pedigrees or asking for their pedigrees to be changed into their name because they they, they are not indicated as the as the new owner or things like that. That's something that must be clear and it's on our website under the, the most frequently asked questions uh, section. We we do not issue pedigrees, so we always have to tell. Sorry, please turn to the. National Club of the Breeder, because they are the organization that will issue the pedigrees of your of your dogs. Absolutely. Uh, that, that is one thing. Then on another note, uh, I, I also have been realizing for years and years that the breeders, exhibitors, the public generally, and sometimes even some of our account clubs, they do believe that the FCI is the police of the national canine organizations. Uh, that means that Individuals will turn to us and say, oh, the president is this. Oh, the shows, the, the results that, that show were already fixed before. Oh, I got my pedigree, but it's not correctly done. And of course, it's always like this in that country. I've asked my pedigree for six months and I still don't have it. <laughs> and anything like that, that's the kind of thing we get daily. And they, they always believe that the SCI will interfere. But these are really domestic matters. I mean, if... People think that the president of the NCO is corrupted. They have they have their internal bodies. They have a general assembly. They have a disciplinary commission. And the, it, I mean, the, the time where everything was in the hands of one single person is over. And the, if there is really something which is going wrong in the club, 
there are enough bodies in that kennel club to try to find out what happens and, and punish possibly the person who is responsible for that for, for the, the, the troubles. Right. So uh, that, that is a, a principle that we really try to, to observe and to which we really stick is that each national club must, must retain its autonomy and the FCI will not interfere in that kind of conflict. Now, of course, if if I will just mention two examples, which by by at random, if Belgium would say, the Belgian Care Club would say, oh, the French Care Club is not acting according to the FCI regulations. In that case, the FCI General Committee or the FCI General Assembly or the FCI Executive Committee, depending on, on, on the mistake, would interfere because that would be an issue between two members of the FCI based on non-observance of our regulations. And in that case, we would therefore interfere. Right. But generally, um, national kennel clubs organize their affairs and they are responsible for that. The FCI does not police or interfere with the running. So basically, um, the running of a national kennel club comes to that country and the rules and regulations that govern that country rather than FCI rules. And FCI doesn't go in or can't go in and say to them, you need to do this unless it's a, a breach of an FCI statute that's, that, that governs everyone. Is yeah, that you're absolutely right, Gopi. You're absolutely right. And uh, that, that's why, as I said at the beginning of, of, our, of our chat, it, it's always a bit delicate to answer this kind of uh, private, you know, complaints or whatever, because because as I said, our national club and as you said, our national clubs have their own regulations, and, yeah. and I would say ninety nine percent of the cases, these internal regulations help fix the matter that is that we are being communicated. So uh, we, I, I will not. I will not concede that from time to time we turn to the member and we say, well, we have serious doubts about that question. Is it really so that X or Y or Z acted like that or that your national club really didn't allow that to happen or that you did not allow that mating? Or, But we would never make a firm decision saying you must do it like that before we get the answer or the comments or the version of our national group. But we can, of course, sometimes put a bit of pressure on our national club and say, and, and just say, well, here is what here is what we have received. Your your feedback would be highly appreciated. Yeah. But again, the final word will be for the national club and not for the FCI. Sure. So I mean, if it's if it's for example, let's just give an example. For example, if there was a breach of a color that was registered that is not FCI recognized. So those are sort of issues that. Um, maybe the issue I could ask a national kennel club to look at if there was a mistake in, in stating that color because it's not a recognized color of the FCI, for example. So that would be an issue where the FCI could get involved. But other than that, on 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 you know on issues or on why I've not been issued this or why I'm not getting this, it actually goes back to the national kennel clubs to, to resolve or the members of that country to resolve with their national body. Is that correct? Yeah. You're absolutely right. You know, anyway, when it comes to issues, it would usually be between people, you know, private, <laughs> personal, private, personal conflict. And after 21 years, I, I can humbly say I, I kind of smell it and uh, I, I would really keep my hands off that kind of thing. But of course, if a country says, if a breeder says, my dog was, was registered as a, I don't know, or, or they have registered, even though it would be against a breeder against another breeder, but they would say, ah, oh, they have accepted to register 
that dog, which is absolutely not recognized by the FCI, yeah, we would interfere because it is our, our right to tell our members you have registered a breed which is not FCI registered and you are using the FCI logo without indicating that the breed is not recognized by the FCI. For example, the, the you know, this uh, party color uh, curly dog from the French, from France, for example, yeah. uh, which everybody assimilates to a Harlequin poodle or, or multi party color poodle. The French were very clear. The French told us we do not want that breed to be called a poodle. Yeah. And so we we have issued circulars about it. The French have recognized the breed on a, on a totally separate basis. It's, it's called, as I said, the uh, petit chien, petit chien particolore frisé in French. So, of course, if we are aware that a country registers or, or enters such dogs in their, their shows and and indicates them in the catalog as particular poodles, it is our role to tell the country, you cannot do that. And we cannot just close our eyes because it's a principle of non-interference. In that case, we have to interfere because it is against our regulations. And we have, on paper, we know exactly what is written in the, we know exactly what is written in the, in the catalog. So yeah. it is our duty to interfere. Otherwise, yeah. we are here for nothing. Yeah, so in, 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 in sort of preserving the breed standard. I mean, to make sure that the breed standard is, you know, preserved and pre and, and and people are not creating new breeds or, or putting them in others or, you know, inventing colors that, that are not recognized by the, um, you know, in the original breed standard and, and to maintain the breed standards um, to do that. Now, we, we, we've talked a little bit about registering. We talked a little bit about dog shows. Um, it is often assumed that these are the two main things the FCI does, but could you touch a little bit on the other, um, you know, other disciplines that the FCI promotes and is involved with? Um, because people don't know about these. I mean, there, there, are, there are many, and I'll let you talk a little bit about that. Yeah, the, the, first of all, let's say the truth. There is one fact which is unquestionable. Uh, our main source of financial incomes uh, comes from the shows, confirmation shows. Uh, and that's probably why we are considered or we are regarded as a, as a confirmation show organization. But uh, as you know, our, our, our motto is uh, for pedigree dogs worldwide. And uh, pedigree dogs does not mean only pedigree with a good phenotype, which are beautiful dogs that can be shown. It also means pedigrees, which, uh, which dogs which are healthy and which are really able to perform the tasks for which you created. Right. Uh, I, I was referring earlier today to this 1,250 shows, but also, as I said, 2,000 trials. Wow. Uh, so, so, so trials are for us really important. They do not bring as much money because the, the, the way we build these events is totally different. So in terms of finances, it is really, the, the impact is really less. But in terms of volume and in terms of uh, working and in terms of philosophy and in terms of image, it is for us very important. We do not only want beautiful dogs, we want also to have dogs which are able to really work. And, and that is that is the reason why we have so many uh, commissions, working commissions, which are dedicated to many, many different disciplines, which can be working disciplines like all the hunting. You know, we, we have a specific commissions for the, the Earth, uh, Earth Dogs Commission, we have a commission for retrievers, we have a commission for spaniels, we have a commission for sighthound races, we have a, a commission for obedience, we have a commission for agility, 
We have uh, commissions for herding dogs. We have a commission for sledge dogs. So we really try to cover all the important working and sporting aspects in which uh, dogs are involved. And, uh, and of course, we have also other mandatory commissions like standards commission or scientific commission. Okay. But their, their role is different. Yeah? It's not yeah. really focused on, on, the, on the work of the dogs. The FCI is not just concerned with petty, uh, with confirmation dog shows, but sports, sporting dogs in terms of sledding, or obedience, agility, maundering, um, all these other things, even grooming. I mean, uh, that's that's a, the latest commission. Um, so covering all aspects of pedigree dogs and, and people's interests um, in, in pedigree dogs and those things. But just let, let, can we clarify one thing? Does the FCI organize world dog shows? No, well, as you have heard, we, we we employ approximately twelve to thirteen or fourteen people, and it is it is, and we are all located here in, in the area of Troyes. So it, it would be really difficult to to organize a world dog show. We we have helped uh, the Belgian Kennel Club organizing uh, yeah. the centenary show in two eleven. Some of my staff was detached to Brussels and uh, and helped. Uh, our sponsor at that time and our Belgian kind of organize a, a very specific event which was called the Champion of Champions. But uh, it is not our, our main task here at the office, so we do not directly organize the show. But we rather commission asking our members, our national collectives to do so okay. um, by means of vote at the General Assembly. Uh, so means that, for example, for the year 2025, maybe five countries would be interested in organizing the World Dog Show. So they have to file a very complete application file, which they have to remit to the General Assembly and to the committee, which they have, which they have to defend before the General Assembly, trying to convince, to convince the General Assembly members to say, okay, vote for us because we have all the assets and we have all the, the all the things that one could look for uh, and one could expect from a from a world dog show. Uh, and, and then of course after the presentations there is a vote from the as I told you these are 75 members and one well, the best the best wins as as simple as that. The, the application files are really complete. I mean our our applying countries are really asked many details about the, the number of hotels, the capacity of the halls, the size of the rings they have in mind, the heating system or not heating system, uh, the, the, the access to the countries, the specific laws regarding dogs entering the country, if there is any quarantine, if there is any other only restriction, uh, what kind of hotels, what parking lots, where where will the, 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 you know, uh, the cars will be able to park, uh, how the, the how the staff will manage the access to the show itself? It's, I mean, it, it's really six or seven pages long, and uh, it, it is something that we take very seriously because because the interest of our readers is is of course the readers is of course it's essential. Essentially, it's like um, you friend not franchise, but you sort of lease out for them to run this event under the auspices of the FCI, but it's run by the Kennel Club, which has which has successfully won the bid to host 
um, you know, just like the, the Olympics, I, I guess, where there is a host nation and they would have to follow the rules and regulations uh, given by the FCI in terms of all these aspects to make sure that, um, you know, safety and, and security and all this uh, ring sizes and, you know, people to stay and all that, but it's run by the national counterparts. And this is the same for section shows as well. The FCI keeps a tab, but the section shows still have to, are run by the individual countries. Um, uh, absolutely. Of course, you know, with such huge mass event, there are issues at every World Book show, every section show, there are, there are some shortcomings, there are, there are some failures, but uh, it, it's not because, it would not be because we have not tried to prevent this kind of incident to happen. We really do our best. We really require highest quality from our, our members when they apply to host those dog shows. And, uh, but, well, that's it. With 20,000 dogs and uh, 50,000 exhibitors or spectators in total, you cannot expect that everything goes up oh, well. smoothly. Yeah. And, and yearly we have issues. We know it. We try to learn from our lessons and uh, well, we just try to improve all the time. And Excellent. This, Excellent. Uh, this checklist is, is being fed, I would say, and it's being extended nearly yearly. Because, because yearly we find out, oh, we, we may also include that point in, in, in the points to be checked before applying, etc. Okay, just moving on. There are only four official languages in the FCI for, for, for an organization that has 99 members from across the globe. Why is this so? Or, or can you give us a bit of the background behind the four languages? Um, and. and Yes, I can. Well, I think a major aspect of it is is financial. I mean, okay. it's. I mean, you, we cannot run an organization like the FCI with its incomes. We, we cannot have twenty five different languages because that that would be the, the the approximate number of languages that would be necessary for everybody really to understand. Uh, we are global organizations uh, organization, and of course, we try to find common denominator. Yes. And uh, these four languages are considered to be a common denominator because they would cover most of the, of our countries. I mean, yeah. in, term, in terms of countries, of course, Spanish is spoken by many countries in the FCI. English, which is the most famous or the most common language, is spoken actually by maybe four or five countries, not more, but, but all the as native language, but all countries nearly speak, speak English. Yeah. And actually, the, the, the paradoxical thing is that the, the founding language of the FCI, which is French, is now spoken by only two countries, which would actually be Belgium, half of Belgium, France, and Monaco. Right. And no other country, and Morocco, no other country speaks really speaks French or understands French. Yeah. And, the, and the last is German, because German is really a big block to the whole Central Europe and the mid Europe, Central Europe, Eastern Europe speaks speaks German, so it is essential. So the four languages that were chosen really cover uh, the, the the most linguistic interests of the world. And uh, it started. We still have French because historically French is, is the founding yeah, language also, of, the, of the FCI. That's why we keep it. Yeah. Uh, Spanish has been added after, if you read the minutes of the previous general assemblies back in the 50s, 60s, 70s, there have been several attempts from Spain, from Spanish, from the from uh, Spanish speaking countries. So to have Spanish recognized as an official SCI language, because of course, as years were passing by, we had more and more panic. 
yeah. countries in the FCI and, and they just felt the need to be well to express themselves in yeah. the most appropriate way and to understand in the most appropriate way. So finally, after several attempts, Spanish was accepted as an official FCI language. Now to, to my friends from China or Russia, for example, of course, <laughs> that, that will be the languages, the most spoken language in terms of individuals. Right. But but as you can imagine, to add these two languages with a very specific uh, alphabet, which yeah. is different from, from our Roman alphabet, right. uh, really would mean, would mean a headache. And, and don't forget that every time, when any, any translation process requires a lot of time and uh, a lot of precision. Yeah. And uh, if we have these two languages, I'm not sure how to run it. It's really so yeah, well, you, you, to you, run the FCI with four languages. You, know? you can't rely on Google Translate, you know, because you have to get the correct essence of, of the translation. Absolutely, so. absolutely. So I could, I could find staff here, of course. I could find Russian and Chinese-speaking staff speaking here, but they must be familiar with the dog world. Dog they, world. We, we, would have to, we would have to cross-check all our translation with Russia and China, for example. Yeah. And that, so that would mean to delay, that would boil down to delaying even more the publication of some documents because we would have to wait for Russia yeah. to tell us, yes, it's correct. No, we would like to change that term by that term. And, and believe me, by experience, I know how it goes. <laughs> and even in very common languages like English, sometimes, we, well, it takes one month because there are five words in it and there are 10 people to decide. And so one says, no, I want with an X, I want with a Y, I want with a Z. <laughs> and, and, and so it, it really takes time to publish it. So even with four languages, it's already very difficult. So Understood. that's it. So to your question, why four languages? I would say why not four languages? <laughs> <laughs> I like that. You're asking the interviewer back question. That's good. <laughs> All right, Eves, 21 years at the FCI. Um, do you see it as an evolving organization? Has it changed? And if so, how? And do you think uh, the FCI is better understood now? Um, by globally, by people? Do they know what the FCI is? 27, not 21. Oh, 27, wow, okay. <laughs> 94. That was your age, sorry. <laughs> I was on your age, that's why I got it. <laughs> ah, of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I do believe that we, well, we had no other choice than to modernize. And uh, we, we are not the most modern organization and we are not the, the fastest organization because we, we remain a rather heavy machinery. But right. still, we, we have really entered the era of, uh, of digitalization and of, you know, communication by email and not specifically having physical meeting to make decisions. So our, our process making, our process, uh, process for making decisions has been really uh, made more flexible and it's much faster than before. And uh, well, some, some figures could, could really illustrate the fact that instead of evolution, I would rather talk about a real revolution in the FCI because when I, start, when I started 27 years ago, <laughs> when I started 27 years ago, we were approximately 70, 75 members in the FCI and, and we have now come to 99 countries. So that's, that's wow. nearly 25% of increase. We, we had a step of eight or nine people. We are now, as I said, 12 to 14, or sometimes even 12 to 13, or sometimes 14 people. So in terms of, of growth, the, 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 I mean, it is very clear that we have grown. Of course, this, this growth implies or requires that we adjust our tools, that we adjust our communication to, to the new needs that are created by, by these groups. 
And, and I really am humbly believe that we are on the right tracks, even though there is always room for improvement. And uh, some of our members are, are much more advanced in terms of technology or digitalization than we are. But we must think globally. And, and it's yes. no use to implement tools that some of our members will take another 15 years before they are able to, to, to use them. And uh, so we, we can, well, we must be closer to the locomotive than to the last wagon. Yes. That is absolutely clear. Yeah. And uh, ideally, we should be the locomotive of the train. But if we are the locomotive of the train, we, we may lose members because they will say, sorry, if you impose that kind of modern technology, we have to quit or we cannot follow. So we must really think globally. And uh, that, that's what we try to do. And, and in terms of... Uh, in terms of uh, image and impact, etc. Uh, well, I, I will not. It will not be a scoop if I tell you that for the last twenty years, fifteen years, uh, social media and uh, only things have really taken a much, much bigger role and a much bigger space in our daily life and in our professional lives. And, and the FCI is, is, of course, impacted by that. And we had to adjust to this new fact because it's it's a daily reality that people talk about the FCI daily on Facebook, on Instagram, on, on Twitter, on whatever. So we had to be able to react and to be able to, well, to interact with these people. Even though we, as I said, we try to, we cannot com we cannot communicate really daily with these people because our our real members are, are the national organization. But again, we cannot left all these people unattended. So uh, the, the last year we have definitely uh, and intensively developed our all our public relations department, uh, always being very cautious to keep a, a good balance between contact with individuals and contact with national organization. That's a point we have discussed several times now. Uh, but, but we are we are active on social media. We are active on, on any possible digital tools in order to reach the, the, the bigger possible audience. And the, the, the work that has been done lately is really paying off now and uh, it, it really has good results. Excellent. Excellent. And and my final question, Yves, um, what are the some of the areas you would like to see better utilized or understood about the FCI? And um, how can that strengthen the vision and mission statement, um, you know, of the organization, which is for pedigree dogs worldwide? Well, as I say, I, I think that uh, I admit that I'm quite happy that with the image that we, we are reflecting now in, in social media on within our, our national organization, even though, as I said, I think that there is always room for, for improvement. Uh, we give the image of a, of a professional and reliable and long-standing, strong, reliable organization. Um, but still, we... we one of the points where we, we can really improve is, is still to, to improve that balance in, in our relations between all our stakeholders in order to try to never make anyone unhappy about the way we communicate. But communication is really difficult and the, every word has to be thought and weighed very carefully before, before, we, can, before we publish it. Yeah. Uh, a, a, an area where, where we have to I don't know how we can do it. The, the narrow we have to improve is to, to be able to engage 
morally, professionally, and to engage more, even more than, than it is the case now, our members. Wow. When, when we launch projects, when we ask for information, when we ask for help, uh, we sometimes do not reach our target. And, and we, we, we have to admit that while we would expect that 80% of our members would answer to a very important inquiry, we lately had the inquiry about BOAS, for example, where there was an uproar among breeders, there was an uproar among chemical clubs. But when you turn to the chemical clubs and you ask them, would you please give us that information, that information, that information, when you get 25% out of 100% of answers, you feel a little bit, you know, un unhappy. And you also have to admit, okay, we, so we probably failed somewhere to, to underline the importance of this survey. Because, because as the, the, the Belgian motto says, uh, union makes strengths. And with the number of challenges that our national clubs are facing today, all this anti-breeding propaganda, all these anti-dog legislations, etc., all the single cases that we, we, we have to deal with, etc., at court, in the press, wherever, the, the more we are together to provide assistance, to provide guidance, to provide answers, to, to those problems because a single country has been facing that problem and can help another yeah. country. I, I do believe that we, we must be more federative than we are. And uh, we have to recognize that if, if we don't have 80% of the countries answering very critical issues, it's it's our mistake or, or not mistake, but we, we must improve that part of our job. And we must make understand that if I take a country, Malaysia, for example, needs real help from the FCI because they have a very specific issue in the country. Of course, the more country, the more the country answers, the, the better and the more useful it will be for Malaysia because they will have, they will know how Vietnam has dealt with the issue, they will know how Bolivia has dealt with the issue, they will know how Belgium has dealt with the issue. And the, so it is important to really raise awareness among our members that we are all fighting and straining for one common cause, which is which is dogs. Excellent. That is such a good point. And it's, a, it's something that um, people don't realize, actually, until until they're in the pot being boiled, and then they start looking for help. But you are so right about um, this working together from the beginning before there's, before there's an issue. And actually, you know, doing it jointly is a a brilliant point. Any parting words, Yves? Any anything that you'd like to to say, or, um, or you think you've covered? No, I, I I really would like to thank you for 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 that chat because, well, first of all, as a person, I, I appreciate you very much, and you know it. And the, I, I like the tone, and the, the, I like the, the you know the way everything was conducted because I, I could really speak very freely, and the, no matter who will listen, I, I think it is as I said, there are things which exist you cannot hide them, you cannot conceal them, and you must be honest and say yes, you must act like this, or no, you cannot act like that. So I'm I'm, I'm very happy because because I think that there were or there are areas where, as you said, clarity had to be expressed and uh, we had to shed light on some areas. Exactly. And uh, if, if we, we and I, I insist the two of us, we, we have done a little bit of our job in that. And if it helps some of our US friends of some of our Bolivian breeders or some of our Belgian breeders to understand a bit better what the FCI is all about, then we will, we will have reached part of our objective. 
Excellent. And, and and you've actually given me some ideas for some follow-up questions. So there might be a part two, Yves. I mean, you've put yourself into that now. Um, I'll get psychologically ready. Yeah, no, no. I mean, I, I'm, the, the hope is that this raises up some valid questions, other things that maybe I've not thought of to cover. And um, hopefully that will, you know, cause us to have a, a second interview and another chat. And, and um the idea is that we, we, as you said, is not to hide behind anything, but actually to be very transparent. And that's the whole reason for this series is for people to understand the FCI uh, directly from the from the stakeholders, so to speak, um, without anything being hidden um, and out there in the public. So thank yeah, you I, so much for, sorry, you were going to say something. No, 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 I'm transparent and objective. Yes. I think objectiveness is really important because as I said, sometimes we, if, if you read too fast, someone complaining or a kennel club complaining, you, you say, okay, he's right or no, he's wrong. Yeah. So it, it really is important to have both versions of the story before before doing a recommendation or before issuing a guideline or before before giving our our comment, for example, or opinion, because otherwise the boomerang gets back in your head and you say, oh, I thought I had done a correct job. And in fact, no, you were totally wrong because you didn't read enough or you didn't ask for all all the elements of the story. So now, now I can see why you've been there 27 years, Eve said the wisdom that you have in dealing with all this, because they are very sensitive issues. They are issues that are very that mean something to these people. And 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 we, as you say, you cannot diminish them or make it smaller, but actually to address every single one and to make every single person to understand or to have the right information or, or to go to the right channel to understand. Um, but that's fantastic, and that's definitely the right attitude. So Thank you, Yves, and thank you so much for, for taking time out of your schedule to chat with me and um, to, to, um, to do this for the FCI podcast channel, and we hope um, to have you back again soon. So thank you again, Yves. Take Real care. pleasure. Real pleasure. I will. Thank you, okay. Gopi. Bye-bye to all of you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.